Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for coming today. Um, and I appreciate everyone that was able to come after our Hurricane Sandy rescheduling and our new room. So we, uh, we appreciate that a lot. Today we're going to be talking about state tax policy. We have a couple of great publications um, that Chris will be talking a little bit about. Um, and as usual, plenty of time for question and answer afterwards. So I will turn the podium over to Chris now, and he will introduce our very storied panel. Thank you very much, Laura, and thanks a lot for uh, coming today. Uh, I'm Chris Edwards, Director of Tax Policy Studies at uh, Cato. I also run Cato's website, downsizinggovernment.org, that uh, could uh, help uh, policymakers solve the fiscal cliff in about 10 minutes if they bothered to, uh, to take a look at it. Uh, the purpose of today's forum is to give you a diversion away from very depressing federal fiscal policy. State uh, fiscal policy uh, is a little more hopeful. There's a little more good news in state fiscal policy. And uh, we're very lucky today to have two of the, the cities and probably the country's top state fiscal experts, uh, Joe Henchman and David Brunori. Uh, I'm going to talk for uh, 10 or 15 minutes and give you sort of an overview of state fiscal policy and the Cato Governor's Report Card. Then I'm going to hand it over to, uh, to Joe and David. And then after that, uh, hopefully we'll have time for some questions. The main theme of this year's uh, Governor Report Card and a growing trend in the nation is, uh, is reforms to business, state business taxation. And luckily, both Joe and David are experts on, on that topic, and so they're going to be uh, tackling that. Uh, David's been hinting that he's got some surprise topics today, so we're going to have to we're hear about uh, what uh, you were asking me, what, whether you can talk about anything you want. And, I, you know, so I, I don't know. There could be some surprises here. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, the Governor's Report Card. Cato has been doing the Governor's Report Card for 20 years now. Uh, we do it because it helps spur um, debate on fiscal policy uh, in the states. Uh, governors do seem to really care about the Governor's Report Card. Uh, governors tend to have big egos and they want to score well on the Cato Report Card, especially the Republicans. Uh, we think it's important to pat on the back the governors who are doing a good job uh, while putting some of the uh, poorly performing governors sort of on the defensive about their records, and we see that sort of those sorts of reactions every time we do a report card. Uh, we base the report card on data. It's a data-driven report. It is nonpartisan. We give grades of A to F. Uh, the governors who cut taxes and spending the most get the A's. The governors who increase taxes and spending the most get F's. Uh, this year we gave uh, four grades of A, Sam Brownback of Kansas, Rick Scott of Florida, Paul LePage of Maine, Tom Corbett of Pennsylvania were the, the four top scoring governors uh, this time around. The main thing they had in common was uh, they all pursued major tax cuts. Sam Brownback's personal income tax cuts passed earlier this year in Kansas were the biggest tax cuts I've seen in many years, sort of as a, as a size of the uh, state's economy. Uh, Brownback and the Kansas legislature will now have to cut spending to match that lower tax revenue, but uh, states are required to balance their budgets every year, so generally tax cuts at the state level mean that the states have, got to have to follow through with spending cuts as well, but we will see. Rick Scott of Florida is absolutely determined uh, to make Florida the most competitive uh, state in the nation, and that's a really good goal, and he's been working on business tax reform. Tom Corbett of Pennsylvania is an interesting uh, governor. He is focused uh, on cutting and eliminating the state's capital stock tax. Uh, Pennsylvania has a 10% corporate income tax, which is a, a high rate, uh, a big tax on business in Pennsylvania. In addition, they've got this $800 million tax called a capital stock tax 
that's been uh, a burden on Pennsylvania business for over a century, and it serves no real purpose. And so to uh, Governor Corbett's great credit, he said, look, we don't need this tax. It serves no, no purpose. It harms job creation and investment, and we ought to eliminate it. So uh, mainly for that policy action, Corbett gets an A as well. Uh, High-profile governors Scott Walker and Chris Christie both got Bs in our report card. The five F governors uh, were Quinn of Illinois, Malloy of uh, Connecticut, Dayton of Minnesota, Abercrombie of Hawaii, and Gregoire of uh, Washington. They all presided over large spending and tax increases, uh, despite the, uh, the uh, very poor and stagnant economy in recent years. Quinn of Illinois' is, uh, uh, Illinois tax increase last year, $7 billion a year in annual revenue. It was extraordinarily huge. The tax increase and one foul swoop raised Illinois state revenues 25%, which is absolutely enormous. I've never seen a state tax increase uh, that big. One thing I noticed this year during the report card is that the two parties uh, are splitting further and further apart on fiscal policy. You know, there's lots of talk about how uh, members of Congress are sort of splitting, you know, the left are moving more left, the right are moving more right. You see that, I think, in, in state uh, policy circles as well. Uh, we used to give occasional uh, Democratic governors A's, uh, but this year all the A's were Republicans, all the F's were uh, Democrats. Two years ago we gave an A to Democrat Governor of West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Um, he's no longer uh, governor, he's in the Senate now. Uh, but there, there are very few uh, uh, you know, conservative or even fiscally moderate Democrat governors in my view. There are some. But uh, so this is, uh, so on the one hand, we had the 2010 elections put a lot more conservative Republicans in office, uh, and, but there's less and less uh, conservative uh, Democrats on fiscal policy, in my view. Let me uh, talk for a couple minutes to give you a, sort of a, an, an overview of state uh, fiscal policy. State and local governments collect about half the amount of money that the federal government does. Or if you look at it, uh, total government spending and taxing in the United States, about two-thirds now is federal, about one-third is state and local. Uh, as, as you all know, you go back a number of decades, that ratio used to be flipped. We used to have small federal government, you know, larger state local governments, but government in the United States has become more and more um, centralized over the decades, which is a very uh, unfortunate uh, trend in my view, and, and David Brunori is certainly an expert on that uh, uh, trend as well. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there are substantial differences in tax and spending policies uh, between the states, and those have real effects on economic activity. And, uh, you know, the focus of a lot of tax foundations' work is, in fact, to, to tease out and discuss these differences in tax policy between the states and discuss what sort of economic difference uh, they make. Uh, this year's Governor Report Card covered the... Uh, the years 2010 to 2012, the economy has been sluggish in recent years, and that's uh, so governors have had to deal with sluggish economies. Uh, but you know, you know, the mainstream media. One of the themes you, you've seen in the New York Times and other papers in recent years is that uh, state budgets have been absolutely decimated by the recession and the stagnant economy, and state budgets have been crushed, and they're slashing their budgets. Uh, that is true in some states, uh, but it is generally not true. If you look at trends in overall state government spending or overall state local government spending, uh, it increased substantially over the last decade and it's basically plateaued. Uh, so to put some numbers on that, back in 2000, state local government spent $1.4 trillion. 
By 2010, spending, state local spending had jumped to $2.3 trillion, uh, uh, just short of, of doubling. And then it kind of flat, has flattened out since 2010. So overall, state local government spending has not been cut in the United States, despite all those uh, scary newspaper headlines we've seen uh, in recent years. Let me uh, jump over to tax policy and make a few comments, and I'm going to hand the podium over to, uh, to Joe and David. Uh, I said that state and local governments only raise about half the amount of tax, taxes that the federal government does. That's true, but what is really important and a focus of the forum today is that state and local governments raise more money from business than does the federal government. So state and local governments are ha only half the size of the federal government, but they actually raise more money from business. Put some rough numbers on that, the federal corporate income tax raises about $300 billion a year. State local taxes on business raise about 600 or more billion dollars a year. The largest uh, state local tax on business or property taxes, about 245 billion a year. Absolutely enormous uh, a burden on business that doesn't get an, enough, uh, as much discussion as it should. Uh, state local governments, they impose uh, taxes on real property, buildings, land. So just as homeowners pay property taxes on their buildings and land, so do businesses. Uh, studies have shown that the business, uh, the, the, the real property taxes on business are actually imposed at much higher rates generally than on, on homeowners, which is a problem. It is, it is uh, distortionary and, uh, and frankly, uh, unfair. But a second type of property tax that state local governments impose on businesses are personal property taxes. If you're a business like you know, General Electric or a car company, you pay tax not only on your land and buildings, but in most states, you pay tax on all the machinery and equipment uh, that you buy. Uh, these are crazy taxes, in my view. Uh, we want businesses to buy new machines, to expand their production, uh, but property taxes on business machinery and equipment uh, are a direct cost and a direct uh, disincentive for businesses to, to add uh, capacity, expand production, and, uh, and boost the U.S. GDP. So there's a number of governors, uh, like Rick Snyder of Michigan, who are really going after these um, taxes on machinery and equipment. <clears throat> to put one, one data point on this, Michigan raises a billion dollars a year from property taxes uh, on business, which is an extraordinary amount of money when you think about it. I mean, people wonder why the Midwest is sort of de-industrialized de uh, over the decades, uh, but there, there needs to be more discussion of this negative impact on property taxes. Uh, another interesting uh, and uh, punitive tax on businesses uh, are retail sales taxes. Retail sales taxes, and you think about it, there's retail sales taxes are supposed to be on consumption. Uh, that's the general idea. Uh, economists like taxes on consumption. They're, they're, uh, they're efficient. They don't harm investment. But there are estimates out there that about 40% of the value of retail sales taxes are actually collected from business inputs. In other words, when GE goes out and, and buys new machines uh, or inventory, they often pay sales tax on that business input. Uh, so these taxes are very; uh, these taxes are, are anti-investment uh, as well. And again, there are a number of uh, governors who are trying to do something about these taxes uh, and reform them. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats, I've uh, I've noticed. So that's so the so the good news about state tax policy is that uh, there are a lot of governors and more uh, state legislators who are going after some of these anti anti uh, investment and anti business uh, taxes in their tax codes. So that's the good news. The bad news is. Is 
the sort of evil twin of uh, good business tax reform is that more and more states uh, are, are giving, handing out special deals and incentives for certain industries and certain businesses, which is a really bad trend. This is something that the Tax Foundation and Tax Notes uh, have, uh, have cataloged over the years. I mean, the poster child for this sort of activity are Hollywood film tax credits. There's over 40 states now according to a tax foundation that have that have these uh, tax credits for film uh, production uh, you know that both Republican and Democrat uh, governors uh, uh, are uh, are putting in place these these credits in a lot of states these tax credits are refundable in other words states are actually spending money uh, to draw these uh, filmmakers to their states. Uh, these credits are really bad. The more of them you have, the more uh, industries you induce to go lobby the state legislator to get legislatures to give them special uh, credits, uh, credits and, and deductions and the like. Uh, these are really bad. Uh, this, so this is a really bad direction of. Uh, of state tax policy. And interesting, you know, some of the governors in recent years, like Quinn of Illinois, who have imposed the biggest sort of general broad tax hikes at the same time are some of the biggest uh, purveyors of these special handouts. Uh, Governor Quinn of Illinois loves to have uh, photo opportunities with Hollywood filmmakers and the like, you know, handing out film tax credits while he's hiking overall corporate taxes. That sort of policy makes absolutely no sense. But uh, I think uh, Joe and David are going to discuss a little bit more of those sorts of issues, and I'm going to hand over the podium now after I introduce uh, uh, both uh, Joe and David. Uh, Joe will uh, speak next. Uh, he's the Vice President of Tax Foundation, and he supervises uh, Tax Foundation state policy programs. Uh, he was identified in State Tax Notes magazine as among four people who will likely dominate the state policy field in the next 10 years. And he is on a state tax notes list of most influential people in state tax policy. Uh, Joe is a very busy guy, from what I understand. He spends a heck of a lot of time discussing state fiscal policy in the media, and he's on the road a lot to state capitals around the country, spreading the good news about uh, pro-growth tax reform. So he's uh, really uh, uh, crucial uh, in the overall uh, sort of battle to get good policy, tax policy at the state level. He's testified to Congress and state legislatures many times, and he's authored many great reports at Tax Foundation, uh, like the Foundation's annual state business tax climate report. Uh, in doing the governor's report, I read hundreds of news articles and tax notes and elsewhere about tax policy in the states. And tax foundations and Joe's analysis came up uh, over and over and over. So it really is having an influence. David Brunori is a professor of public policy at George Washington University, where he teaches state and local finance, administrative, administrative law, and fiscal federalism. He is an executive uh, vice president of Tax Analysts, which publishes uh, the most influential tax publications in the country, including state tax notes. Uh, David is a contributing editor to State Tax Notes, and he writes a weekly uh, he writes a weekly column for the publication. I started reading Tax Notes back in the early 1990s when I worked for Tax Foundation. Tax Notes is really a great uh, publication. It's open to a broad spectrum of opinion, uh, from lawyers, accountants, economists, liberals to libertarians. Uh, everyone uh, is uh, is. Uh, is, is providing opinions uh, in Tax Notes magazine. Uh, David's also published academic journal articles and written a number of books on state tax policy. <clears throat> and David was the one who wrote uh, the Tax Notes article that ranked Joe as one of the most influential people in state tax policy. Uh, well, David himself should be on the very top of his own list of influential people in state tax policy. So I'm going to hand over the uh, podium to uh, Joe, then David, and then after that we can do some Q&A. 
Well, thank you, Chris, for a very generous uh, a, uh, introduction. And of course, I have nothing but complimentary things to say about the Cato Institute and your work there and the, uh, the governor's report card, which is a great resource and a great analysis of what's going on at the state level. And I, I highly recommend it. It's as essential reading for anybody interested in state tax policy. Uh, if we could get started by everybody standing up. Get that food coming out of your way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you would be willing, if you would be willing to walk out that door and not listen to David or my presentation for one dollar, go ahead to have a seat. All right. How about for ten dollars? Yep. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, sir. A hundred dollars. How about a thousand dollars? All right. Uh, by the way, I've, I've, I've uh, <laughs> Prices matter. Prices affect behavior. Prices change decisions. Uh, and taxes, as a price, they also affect behavior and they affect uh, decision-making. Now, 50 years ago, when the top federal income tax rate was over 90%, maybe state taxes didn't matter all that much because when you're paying 90%, uh, that, that probably already makes you decide whether you're working that extra week or doing that extra project or for Ronald Reagan working doing that extra movie. Uh, and whether a state's tax rate is 10% or 12%, uh, that probably didn't really figure into the equation. But now where we have federal income taxes that are much less in the 30s, maybe into the 40s, depending on what you guys do uh, the rest of this, rest of this year, uh, state taxes matter a whole lot more. Now, although I work for the Tax Foundation, although, although I work primarily on tax policy, I am the first to admit that many things affect individual and business decision-making besides taxes. Location, uh, port, you know, ports, uh, education, transportation, uh, weather, uh, good colleges, uh, educated workforce. These are all factors that go into people, uh, individuals, and, and businesses' decisions of where to locate and where to expand and where to be entrepreneurs. But taxes are the one thing that a state can do something about almost instantaneously. A tax reform, for good or for bad, can instantaneously greatly improve or greatly ruin a state's tax system. Building infrastructure, that takes a while. An education reform, that can take up to a generation to manifest itself in economic growth. But taxes can work right away. And so that's why I work in this field and why I'm so insistent that it, that it, that it actually affects things. And for the most part, uh, there's a few a uh, very small number of dissenting minority, uh, dissenting dissenters out there who say that taxes don't change behavior, they don't affect decisions. Uh, but for the most part, everybody recognizes that they do, and it's just a question of to what degree. And it depends. Uh, I myself am from California and lived in Maryland for a little bit, and I can certainly tell you that taxes helped affect uh, my relocation decisions. Now, uh, after my little introduction here, I was kind of at a loss of where to take uh, the rest of my comments here because I know David's going to be hilarious and I've got uh, to do something that's going to leave you at least remembering my name and not just there's David and those other guys that talk. So uh, what I thought I'd do is I'd talk a little bit about what we do at the Tax Foundation, um, some of the work that we put out, and then do a tale of a couple of states uh, and what, what's going on out there that... Uh, it's kind of old hat to me because I've, I've been to these states and, and uh, helped work out on some of these reforms, um, whereas, you know, Washington can be a little bit more insular. 
you're talking about my travel. It was it, it hit me very depressingly yesterday when we were go, the, some of the staff were going over their future travel uh, and development. Our fundraising team they're going to Florida in January and, and and Texas and and I'm like, well, I think I need to go to New York and maybe North Dakota uh, in January. So uh, I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, so. We do a lot of ratings and rankings at the Tax Foundation. That's primarily what we do. We have a dual mission. Uh, one of our mission is just to put out basic, factual uh, information about public finance at the state level, at the federal level as well, uh, run the state program. Uh, and then our other mission is to do principled analysis of tax policy. All of our analysis is guided by the idea that the tax system should be as simple, neutral, transparent, and stable as possible. Because in our view, when government sticks to that and not trying to do other things with the tax code, that's the best way to achieve long-term economic growth and prosperity. So we do a ton of rankings. We do our state business tax climate index, which is uh, out there, and, and Chris mentioned that briefly. We've done that for several years. Uh, this looks at how states raise their taxes, looks at 118 different variables across state tax systems, looks at the structure of how they do it, how simple, how neutral, how transparent, how stable it is. Uh, and I think some of the states on that list kind of correspond with some of the states on Chris's list. Uh, so uh, I, I think there's a, there's a there there. <laughs> I think we're, we've, we've got something. Uh, we do a burdens report uh, calculating how much. We do our annual tax freedom day report, which I think more people know about that than know that we do it. Uh, it's the day in the year in which Americans have earned enough to pay their taxes and can start working for themselves. And we do so many ratings and rankings that we actually put out a little book of ratings and rankings, our Facts and Figures booklet, which we've produced since 1941 and sent to all state legislators and congressional offices uh, every February. So what is going on in the states? As Chris mentioned, uh, states raise about uh, half what the federal government does, uh, about just under $800 billion a year. Uh, and we're kind of past the roof is on fire period uh, that we were in in 2009 and 2010 where states just uh, – they were kind of expecting that 8 percent a year annual revenue growth to keep going indefinitely and then instead it cratered and they had to quickly make it up. Uh, and so states have for the most part done that. There's a few, uh, few who have not uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily. But generally – the right now it's not a panicky situation in the states. Now it's we kind of we kind of got a handle on things, but the big problem, and uh, if if you leave my talk with anything, it's it's this, is that the thing dawning on state legislators is this new realization that going forward the economy is going to grow at maybe one or two or three percent a year, and so a state government that grows at six or seven or eight percent a year, a state government that depends on federal funds for a third to 40 percent, even over 50 percent for a couple states, federal funds for their state budget and growing every year, that's just not sustainable. Uh, I've heard it described as the new normal by the good people at the Pew Center on the states, this recognition that uh, there needs to be a complete rethinking of how state governments finance themselves going forward because the current structures are not sustainable. So what are states doing about it? We've got a tale of 10 states, which I'm going to rattle through really, really quickly. Uh, Maine, uh, which somehow elected a one of the, the more right-wing governors in the country. Uh, Maine, as you'll know, they just elected a, a kind of quirky left-wing independent as, as their U.S. senator. Uh, certainly one of the, the, the more unique states in our union. Uh, they did a, a pretty comprehensive tax reform, bringing down uh, some of the rates, 
looking at some of the business tax base, uh, broadening it a little bit. Um, and we actually uh, commended them as one of the two big uh, ag- aggressive promising reforms that were done in, in the year uh, 2012, or 2011, taking effect for 2012. Uh, two other M's on this list, uh, Maryland, which uh, raised a whole bunch of taxes in 2008. That's when I exited the state. Uh, and they, uh, they did it to resolve the long-term structural budget deficit, and that didn't work. And so uh, last year, they, they raised taxes again, uh, reinstituting their millionaire's tax on high-income earners. Uh, and I read in the paper last week that they are now forecasting any, uh, yet again another structural budget deficit going forward, even after doing that twice. Maryland, of course, very dependent on federal employees uh, being in the suburban Washington area. So uh, also watching very carefully what goes on with the fiscal cliff negotiations and the sequester. Uh, to see how that will impact their their budget structure. Very high property taxes in Maryland also. Uh, Michigan was the other state that we commended specifically for promising improvements in their state tax system. Now, this is a state that had a tax system so complex, uh, especially for business taxes. It was you, There was a tax on your gross receipts, and you calculated that, and there was a tax on your profits, and you calculated that. And then there was a tax on those taxes that was a surcharge on that. And then uh, all these taxes were very high and they were worried because nobody was going to be able to earn enough profits to, to pay them. So they set up this uh, government entity, uh, the Michigan Economic Growth A. It stood for MEGA was the name of it. Uh, and uh, it was responsible for handing out uh, tax credits. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth a year. So uh, they're, they're kind of drawing in from all these people that they're taxing and then handing out to the politically favored one. And uh, for anybody that's been to Michigan or read anything in the news about Michigan, uh, you see the end result of that type of economic development strategy. It just doesn't work. And uh, even though it didn't work, I thought it was just going to be like that forever, that Michigan was a hopeless basket case and uh, – they just liked having a complicated, terrible system that does a lot of economic damage and there just wasn't a lot to do about it. Uh, well, they repealed it. Uh, they got rid of that whole system, both the, the, the credit side and the tax side, and just replaced it with a flat 6% corporate income tax with very few tax credits. Uh, and I, I think that that will be a, a big boost for them. Now, they're starting from a pretty bad situation. Their recession did not begin in 2008. Their recession began in 2000. It's been continuous since then. Uh, so they, and that's the bad news. The good news is they they can only go up from this point, and they've actually already recovered half the jobs they lost during their recessionary period, which is a much better performance than we've seen in a lot of other states. And I think part of it is due to the um, that they're open for business now with respect to their tax policy. North Dakota found oil, like the Beverly Hillbillies. They've got a, you know, they. It's a state that. I think I think many of us would struggle to identify a characteristic about North Dakota, but now now we've got one. They've got oil, and uh, they have budget surpluses that are rivaling the size of their budget. Uh, and sometimes I'll, I'll I'll go to a speech by Scott Pattison, who represents state budget officers, and he'll say, "Well, you know, it's pretty bad in 49 states, and you know, you know who that 50th one is that that is doing pretty well." They. Uh, they don't know what they're going to do with that money yet. All the other oil states, of course, go without one of the major taxes. Texas doesn't have an income tax. Alaska doesn't have an income or a statewide sales tax and so forth. 
Uh, North Dakota still has all the major taxes, and they're all kind of mid, mid-sized. I mean, there's no real low taxes in North Dakota. And they've had a couple ballot initiatives to, to reduce and restructure some taxes. Some have, some have passed legislatively, some have failed, uh, but they haven't really come up with the big idea yet on what to do with their uh, newfound wealth. So if you have any ideas, uh, I'm sure the governor of North Dakota is looking for them. Uh, Illinois was mentioned. They raised their taxes a whole bunch. They used to have a 3% flat income tax, which was the saving grace of Illinois' tax system. Very high sales taxes, very high property taxes. I was at a conference in Chicago a couple of months ago. Had a back problem in the middle of the night and went out to, to a drugstore to, to get a heating pad, some aspirin, and a bottle of water and paid three different sales taxes on those three items because that's how they've structured their sales tax system. Uh, very high property taxes, very high business taxes. They're, they're kind of going after Mich- following that older Michigan model of very high taxes and then paying out lots of credits. Uh, and then they raise their, they raise their income, individual income and corporate income taxes. Now it's a 5% rate, and the corporate rate is it's up around 9 or something now. It's pretty high. And we have actually seen businesses leave for Wisconsin and Indiana and uh, even Iowa, which is not usually considered a, a, a tax haven. Wisconsin usually isn't considered a tax haven either. But, uh, and so there, there was, there's been demonstrable panic in the legislature and the governor over these developments. And so they've rolled out some tax credits for businesses that you think wouldn't need a tax credit to stay in Illinois, like Sears and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, to encourage them to remain in the state. <clears throat> it's a pretty bad system, and uh, unfortunately, I'm. You, you heard it here first. One of these days, pro- hopefully not sooner, but maybe, uh, Illinois and maybe California and maybe New Jersey and maybe Rhode Island will show up in this building uh, with cup in hand asking for a bailout for their public pension program. Uh, Illinois, I think, is the furthest along towards that. Uh, I remember... A friend of mine who worked in the Bush administration telling me about the day that happened with Fannie and Freddie when Fannie and Freddie said, we're, you know, we're not going to be able to open on Monday. Uh, we're going to default on everything. And the foreign holders of their paper, their commercial paper, came to the White House and said, uh, the Treasury, and said, well, you've been kind of coy about whether it's explicit or uh, whether it's backed or not. Um, tell us now because otherwise we're just going to dump it all on Monday. And he, my friend said it, it took them about – about five seconds to say it's it's explicitly backed. Um, Washington's not good about those kind of you're up against the wall, you need to make a decision immediately whether to bail out or not kind of situations. So be prepared for when that happens with Illinois because they are they have not cut one dollar of spending since the recession began, and uh, their their method of cash conservation is pretty novel. They just don't pay their bills. Uh, so there's nursing home providers, Medicaid, childcare who are you know, working on state services and carrying out their obligations, and the state's just not paying them. And a lot of them are closing, and it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a big problem. Rhode Island is, Little Rhode Island is a big success story, in my view, and it's one that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. This is a state that, uh, as far as I can tell, only has two industries that are non-governmental. Uh, CVS and Fidelity are both headquartered there. A little tidbit of trivia for you, for bar trivia. Uh, they, uh, it's pretty bad in Rhode Island, pretty high unemployment, not a lot of, uh, prospects for graduates and they have some fine universities in Rhode Island and fine public services, but no jobs. Uh, and when you don't have jobs, people don't stay. Uh, 
certainly well-located geographically, but not taking advantage of that. Uh, but the one thing Rhode Island does have is recognition that there's a problem and something is wrong in that problem. It was that, the, the ta- in part, the tax system is too onerous. So they rolled up their sleeves, and this is a state where you can count the number of Repu- Republicans in their legislature on one finger. And they brought their top individual income tax rate from 9.9% to 5.99% in a revenue-neutral fashion by eliminating loopholes. So we gave them a lot of uh, honors and plaudits for it. I mean, it moved them up. They're still in the bottom 10 in our index, but uh, it moved them up a little bit. And uh, that's the kind of uh, thing that we, we want to see more of. It's the opposite approach being taken by my home state of California, which uh, earlier this month raised their top income tax rate to 13.3%, which is the highest in the country. Uh, they also raised their sales tax a little bit. And uh, we'll see, I think we'll see for sure whether taxes change behavior uh, with, 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 with California because uh, there's a lot of rich people there and uh, whether they're really willing to do that differential just because it's just wandering over to the Nevada line there, that's a 13 percentage point of your income difference there. Uh, and is that enough to induce uh, behavior? Just yesterday I read online um, there's some new economic evidence out of the uh, British tax increase they raised their tax to 50% and have subsequently lowered it down to 45%. Uh, and they found that uh, one year they had 16,000 people file as millionaires and the next year they had 6,000 people file as millionaires. And that's just in one year. Um, now, I'm never the one to make the case that you know if you raise the tax a couple percentage points, then everyone's going to flee the country because that's not the only determinant for people's decision-making and you know different things can matter and it depends on where the rates are and who you're talking about. Um, but this was a demonstrable case, and I even read, like, all of the rebuttals on it, and nobody's denying this is happening. They're just talking about how they structured their tax avoidance. They're all still in Britain. They're all still earning income. They're just doing it in ways they're not being captured by the tax collector, and I think that's what you'll see. I mean, some of the, one of the biggest charts that always makes a difference, I mean, this is actually a federal chart, is the federal top individual income tax rate. And, you know, it's gone up and down like a roller coaster over the last 100 years. And the amount of money that the federal government actually collects in revenue, which is about as close to a straight line as you can get. Um, So I don't want to suggest that nothing we do matters, but uh, I do want to suggest that taxes matter. And with that, I'll turn it over to David. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, good afternoon. Yes, it is noon now. Uh, it's an honor to be here today with uh, my old friend Joe and Chris, and I am an admirer of both the Institute and the Foundation. Uh, I was going to tell you know, I, 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 some of you in the room actually have heard me speak often about what I think about the tax system, the state tax system, and I, I, I think I'll use a technical term. I think it sucks because... <laughs> We, we live in an era of, of maybe the worst state tax policy uh, in the history of the country. I mean, we just have awful uh, uh, state tax policy. And, and I could probably stand here for – give my Hugo Chavez speech for several hours about why we have terrible tax policy. But then you really will leave and it won't even cost a dollar to do it. Um, uh, so I want to talk about one particular aspect of state tax policy that I think is particularly egregious and, and, and has a particular 
uh, it drives me crazy, and, and I've been like Don Quixote on this for about uh, 20 years, and, and, and my friend Chris has written about it, and, and, and Joe's written about it and talked about it. But I think one of the greatest impediments to economic growth is the state corporate income tax. I, I, I think the state corporate income tax uh, is awful, and I think that liberals, for reasons I'll talk about in a minute, and conservatives and libertarians should rally around its repeal. I really believe it. It raises about $50 billion, $60 billion in a good year, maybe a little bit more. It doesn't raise that much money, but we spend an enormous amount of money. Uh, well, I'll tell you about that in a second. In 2003, I gave a speech uh, at the Federation of Tax Administrators, and I called for the repeal of the tax, and I was booed. I was booed. And then I gave the same speech before a group of, of tax lawyers at the ABA, and I said, we should repeal the uh, corporate income tax. And I was booed. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get booed and heckled at a, at a tax conference? <laughs> the point I was trying to make was that the corporate income tax did not raise a lot of money. And it doesn't. Still doesn't. That without reforms that will never happen politically in the technical details, which are not important at this moment, which will never happen uh, politically, it will never raise a lot of money. It consumes an inordinate amount of resources, planning, litigating, auditing, talking about it at conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And that we should stop pretending it matters because it doesn't. And I'll say it again. We should repeal the the the, the corporate income tax. I know... Joe will not, or uh, Chris will not boo me on that, or either will Joe. Uh, but and there's a million problems with the tax, uh, and in, and tax incentives, which which Joe uh, uh, discussed briefly, uh, are just one of the big problems. Uh, and, and tax incentives, as you all should know, uh, and I don't care what your political persuasion is, tax incentives are the devil's work. They really are. It's they're awful tax policy. They're awful awful government policy. Uh, and, and I will tell you, they not only violate every notion of sound tax policy, uh, but they're unnecessary. That's the kicker. Uh, there's tons of research and a lot of anecdotal evidence that show that most corporations will have made the investment even without the incentive. And many corporations make the decision to invest before they start negotiating the incentive. And it's not much of an incentive, is it, if that's what's happening? And, and I will tell you, I've said this before, uh, political leaders are unimaginative cowards in this area. They really are. Uh, both Democrats and, and Republicans, terrible. Uh, Joe alluded to the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, which I guess it was two years ago now, 18 months maybe. Uh, they were threatening to move to New Jersey if it did not get tax breaks from Illinois. Now, you guys know the, the, the Merck, right? The Merck is the world's greatest commodity uh, exchange, right? Wheat, corn, rye, oats, pigs, orange juice, all that good stuff. And, and it would be pretty weird running it out of Hackensack, first of all. But more importantly, what the heck kind of company threatens to move to New Jersey for tax purposes? Think about that. And you tax foundation folks in here, 
You know where New Jersey ranks every year in the tax, uh, the business climate tax uh, index. I think it was 49 this year. They moved up one. And they moved 49. up one, but it was 50 last year. <laughs> and it was 50 when they were threatening to do this. It's like, oh, we're going to move to New Jersey, get a better tax deal. It's crazy. So here's the new thing. Uh, we know that if a corporation has a tax advisor with a pulse, it can minimize its tax burden down to zero. I mean, that's just a, that's just a given. Uh, so what kind of in- incentive can you offer a corporation that does not actually pay income taxes? You let them keep the taxes paid by their employees. That's what you do. So Illinois, for example, and Pennsylvania is another state that does this, uh, allows corporations, some corporations, not all, to retain the personal taxes paid by their employees rather than remit them to the state, right? So your income tax is withheld, your state income tax is withheld by your employer. And instead of your employer paying it over to the state to fund, I don't know, teachers, police officers, road improvements, the corporation keeps it. Now, I know money's fungible, but that's just crazy. I mean, that is just crazy talk, but it's actually crazy practice. Uh, I, I actually think there's legislation in like seven states to do more of this in the coming year. And I think it's a blasphemy from both a good government perspective and from a, a, a sound tax policy perspective. Um, but here's my question, and I would like you all to think about this. Uh, you're not really going to think. Some of you will. I'd like you to think about this next time the issue of corporate taxes come up. Wherever you may be, state corporate taxes. I want you to ask yourself and ask anyone who supports corporate taxes why we tax corporate income at the state level. I want you to ask that question and see if you can get an answer because I've been thinking about it for 10 years and I cannot come up with an answer. Uh, Is it because we need the money? Well, the truth is we don't raise that much money from it. I mean, you know, $50 billion, $60 billion is not exactly chump change, but it's not a lot of money. And besides, there's a lot more efficient and effective ways of raising uh, uh, revenue. Oregon, for instance, which is a bastion of liberalism, raises more money from its amusement tax than its corporate tax. I don't think most of you knew that. Maybe you did. Montana. I know there's some people in this room from Montana. Man, Montana, where the people believe it's immoral to tax consumption, raises four times as much money from its excise taxes than from its corporate income tax. Think about how crazy that is. Vermont, which sends up a, a socialist to the U.S. Senate, raises more money from licensing barbershops than it does from its corporate income tax. Now, that's not to say there's not cost in the corporate income tax because those corporations are all doing planning and planning and auditing and uh, litigation and all that other stuff. But they're just not paying the corporate income tax to Vermont. If we were about the money, we would do a lot of things to strengthen the corporate income tax. And there are ways you can strengthen it. You can adopt combined reporting. You can join the MTC as a full-fledged member and get in there and start auditing the hell out of corporations. There's a lot of things you can do which politically are very difficult to do. Uh, We'd stop handing out corporate tax incentives if we were really doing this for the money. Ooh, but we're not going to do that. Uh, So then I would ask you, do we tax corporate income 
because corporations derive some benefit from society. Often we hear that argument, right? Corporations enjoy roads and schools and prisons and all those other things that we do, the government does, and maybe they should be paying for some of that. Uh, but if that's our motivation, I, I will ask you this, and I don't want to get too technical about, about this, but the trend in corporate income taxation has been to adopt something called the single sales factor apportionment formula, which some of you know about. Uh, and basically what those kinds of taxation schemes do is they tax corporations who are not in the state. So the more plant and equipment you have in the state, the less taxes you pay. So if you manufacture in Iowa and you export all of your goods and services outside of Iowa, you pay no corporate income taxes in Iowa. Well, that's not a benefits tax, right? We're not asking a corporation to pay for the benefits it's receiving because there's no correlation between the taxes and the benefits it receives. Zero. And that has been the trend, by the way. Uh, and by the way, that may be a good thing. Politically, it may be a good thing from an economic development standpoint. But it's not a benefits tax. By the way, that whole single sales factor thing, uh, if those of you who follow it, it's just it's surreal because states are, have been tripping over themselves to, to, to provide this incentive to corporations to manufacture because they want to create jobs uh, and export their goods and, and, and reduce their, their tax liability to zero. Um, and, and they do it in California. Uh, they do it in New Jersey. And if you can't hold the line on the corporate income tax in New Jersey and in, 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 in California, all is lost. You read, it really is. So uh, maybe we tax corporations because we want to, I don't know, soak the rich. My way liberal friends certainly think that's the case, right? We're going to go after the man. We're going to go after the fat cat shareholders, the Warren Buffetts, the Mitt Romneys. The problem with that argument, there's two problems with that argument. Problem number one, everybody in this room is a shareholder, right? If you have a 401k, if you're doing any kind of savings at all, you're a shareholder, right? Everybody in America is a shareholder. The vast majority of them are not fat cats. That's number one. Number two... Uh, there has been four, a 40-year debate about the incidence of the tax. Okay, so over those 40 years, some economists believe it falls on the owners of capital uh, in the form of lower returns. And if any of you know, like Jane Gravel or people like that, will make that argument very stridently. Uh, in the form of lower returns, it really is going after the shareholders. Some think... It falls on consumers, although this is really not a, in fashion anymore. It falls on consumers in the form of higher prices, right? They're the ones who ultimately are paying the, the tax. But a lot of people think it falls on labor in the form of lower wages. This is particularly true in, in growing in its, in its acceptance in, in a globalized economy, right? Because if you can move capital to wherever, Argentina, and get lower wages, 
uh, that it's going to fall. Then your corporate income tax is going to fall on American uh, American workers in the form of lower wages. That's who's going to bear the burden. And if that's true, and by the way, this is not. It's not set in stone yet. No one really knows the answer, but that's growing uh, in in acceptance. If that's true, you have to ask yourself why labor unions would be the most vocal proponents of the corporate income tax, and they are. You'd have to ask why that is, because if it's fallen on their members – I don't know. Maybe they need new leadership. Uh, Anyway, we can articulate policy reasons for taxing sin, personal income, consumption, but we cannot easily identify policy reasons for taxing corporate income. Uh, And and we really don't know why we tax corporations at the state level. Uh, And we spend an inordinate amount of of money planning, auditing, litigating, talking about the damn tax, and it ain't worth it. One more thing I wanted to mention – because the other, and it's not nearly as important, but it's certainly more fun. And the Tax Foundation has done a lot of work on this, and I commend them. Uh, we have had this proliferation in the last year, uh, over the last two years, three years, of film tax credits. I know Joe and, and Scott and other people have done a lot of work on this uh, over the years. And it is, it is one of the most, it is, you, should, you should follow, you do some of the readings. The Tax Foundation has done some work on this, and there's stuff in state tax notes. It is one of the most curious, asinine ideas that I've ever seen. The idea that a state would pay through tax credits a movie company to film in its location. Forty states do this now, including California. Now, you would think California would have the lock on this, right? And why do they do it? Because they, why do they want to do it? Well, I think they do it because they all want to hang out with, with, with and it's funny because they have one in Kansas. And I think they want to hang out, even the conservative politicians in Kansas want to hang out with like Natalie Portman and George Clooney and people like that. Uh, and it is, it is absolutely, talk about devoid of all policy uh, uh, rationale. And my favorite story, I'll just tell, leave you with this one story. My favorite story uh, is in New Jersey, because New Jersey has a film tax credit uh, that the governor has veto power over. I don't know how many of you know that, but the, the governor, Governor Christie, w- when they're going to give film cre- tax credits out, he gets to say, yes, you get it. No, you don't get it. Yes, you get it. So on and so forth, which is just crazy cronyism and, you know, government picking winners and losers, all that other good stuff. But he vetoes the film tax credit for the TV show Jersey Shore. Now, you guys know Jersey Shore, right? The TV show Snooky, <laughs> Paulie. Uh, Angela, girls with big hair, guys with muscle shirts, slick back hair, tattoos, that, that whole bit. Yeah. My paisans. He vetoes it. You know why he vetoes it? He makes a public statement. He says, this is trash. And this gives Italian Americans and the state of New Jersey a bad name. I'm vetoing it. No tax credits for you. You know what his favorite TV show is? The Sopranos. 
Yeah, that show doesn't give Italian Americans. <laughs> you know, that doesn't that, that doesn't reinforce any stereotypes or anything. Anyway, I'm done. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>